Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And Kyle, the jerk, is still in Mexico. And so we are riding today with a friend of the show. You've heard him here before. Carter Spires of At the Roost will be here to help is here to help us preview the Rice Owls. So we are somehow eleven weeks from football, which praise the Lord, whoever you choose to praise, right? Uh, but so we are continuing our march to the Texas Longhorns schedule and so we are in week three of that preview and we have friend of the show i feel like I, we can call him. he's been on before so two times next year friend of the show uh carter spires from at the roost helping us to preview the rice owls man carter how are you doing today sir i am great how about y'all cannot complain one bit i mean kyle is in mexico and i'm deeply deeply jealous of him for that but other than that i'm doing good So if you haven't been with us before, if this is your first podcast with us, uh, what we do is every summer we go through week by week through the Texas Longhorn schedule and we reach out to somebody who knows the team better than we do. Kyle and I are very proud of saying that we know just enough to sound not dumb, but we want to get people on that can actually sound um, educated about the subject we're talking about. So we reached out to Carter, who's been on before last time Texas played Rice in 2019, which feels like it was, again, I guess we lost the whole 2020 season, but that's weird. Yeah, time is pretty meaningless these days. So, like, you could describe moments from 2019 and they would feel simultaneously like either a couple of months ago or about six years ago. And there's really no consistency to, like, how that works out. So it's it's absolutely insane. Just I there's no other way to describe it. But I guess we're here, right? We, we made it back. We made it through. <laughs> uh, we can reemerge. The world is starting to return to normal, right? I think so. Looks like we're, I, you know, Rice might actually play a football game before the last week of October this year. So uh, I'm, I'm pumped for that. Yeah. Weird season, right? You, you had what, four games canceled off the top of the, the, the schedule last year? Yeah. So basically, Rice, like as a university, um, like it, this was really outside the hands of the athletic department for the most part, was trying to thread the needle uh, like as tightly as possible with like pushing things back. Uh, and, and and trying to be kind of as safe as possible with playing a season. So they they canceled the whole non-conference season, and they canceled the first couple of games in the conference play. And then finally they got the go-ahead to play uh, starting in late October against Middle Tennessee on October 24th was their first game of the year. Wow. And then uh, they played two games and, and looked pretty good in both of them, split those games, and then just cancellation after, like – immediately started having other games canceled because other teams were losing too many players to the COVID protocol. So they ended up playing a grand total of five games last season, which uh, it was a very weird and disjointed season. And it's tough because that was, you know, Mike Bolgren's third season, right? He had two, and he showed some improvement in those first two. And then last year was just this kind of lost year, which is just, absolutely weird but he showed improvement right 
from year one to year two, and they had, I mean, two out of five is a 40% win percentage, so, which is the highest they've had since 2015, so, like, what's, what's the conversation around him, and what are the expectations for, for this year? Yeah, uh, I, I would say the general tone is still, um, one of optimism and a feeling that this program is going somewhere. Um, I wish I had written down exactly what the numbers are, but I think it's like three of Rice's top recruiting classes in the recruiting rankings era. So basically the 21st century uh, have come in the Bloomgren era. So the the level of recruiting that he's done for the program is really, really bumped up uh, over, over what they were at before. But um, there is some sort of there uh, a bit of impatience growing because it, it feels like we've just been like ready to get over the hump. Um, and so, you know, 2018, their first year was was really kind of as, uh, as much of a year zero as you could possibly have. Like They were changing offensive and defensive systems and there were a whole bunch of players moving in and out of the program. And, and, and so that was completely write that off. And then in 2019, they, um, the defense all of a sudden looked fantastic. I mean, Brian Smith is a wizard. I don't know how he has gotten the production he's gotten out of the guys they've had, but, uh, looked great on defense, but between some shaky offensive plays, shaky play quarterback and, uh, just plain bad luck, they lost their first nine games of the year and then went on a three game winning streak, uh, at the end to finish three and nine. And so going into last season, I, the expectation was that they would make a bowl. It was a good enough team to do so. They were bringing in Mike Collins transfer from TCU to play quarterback. And he was easily, uh, he was the third straight grad transfer quarterback they had brought in, but easily the most like purely talented of those guys. And he was as advertised. I mean, he, he threw for 10 touchdowns in, in three games, like back to back four touchdown performances, which uh, has not happened for Rice in a very, very long time. Um, but just the strange disjointed nature of the season, uh, he was hurt. They had several guys missing to, you know, like quote unquote medical reasons and then several like actual injuries and some opt outs as well. Um, but then they upset and shut out a ranked Marshall team on the road in their second to last game of the season. So it was very weird because it was, you know, just the distro- the way the season turned out, there was no way for them to meet the expectations they had set. Um, but at the same time, they still had maybe like the defining moment of the program probably since the 2013 USA Championship. Um, and for this year, I think the expectations would have been largely the same. There is more un- or was more uncertainty at the quarterback position. Um, and then last week uh, i think we're about to get into this so i'll just hint at it for now but last week we got some very big news that has kind of uh perhaps raised those expectations just a little bit yeah so that's a perfect segue thank you it's like it's like you do this too so you mentioned mike (laughs) collins he had an incredible season but he's kind of not he's not going to be with the program anymore so uh yeah chose not to to use that last year of eligibility so uh back back to square one which sucks for, for the university, but yeah, you know, that's it, he's is well within his rights to do that, right? Um, but Giovanni Johnson got some PT last year. Um, Jake Constantine is transferring in as well. And so, like the the rice quarterback situation is a a bit of a kind of wide open, I guess. Maybe not wi- as wide open as it was again two weeks ago, but what's the QB battle looking like? What's the room looking like uh for rice? Yeah, so they had four guys on campus for the spring uh, with an additional high school signee coming in this summer. Um, 
quickly in order of those guys are Wiley Green, who was signed in Bloomberg's first class. Um, he played a little bit his true freshman year. He was the starter to begin 2019, but then uh, had a bad concussion against Baylor and then had some real bad turnover issues and kind of kind of lost the staff's trust, honestly, after that. Um, but he had the best he was the third string guy last year, but then had the best spring of anybody on campus. Um, Constantine, who uh, started at Boise State, redshirted that year, then went to JUCO, then spent two seasons at Weber State, Damian Lillard's alma mater, for those of you that are NBA fans, uh, walked on at Washington State last year, and now a grad transfer to Rice. Um, was okay in the spring, but didn't really stand out. Um, Giovanni Johnson was a 2019 signee. He got a little bit of playing time that year, had a spot start against Marshall. Um, also started against Marshall last year in the big win, but the offense really didn't do a whole lot in that game. It was 90% the defense. Um, Johnson is really athletic, uh, but he's kind of been a shaky, but he hasn't made a ton of progress in a pat as a passer in the time he's been on campus um, and didn't really have a very good spring. Uh, and then they also have a Juco guy, TJ McMahon, who's a little farther down the depth chart. Uh, last week, we got the news that uh, former Nebraska and very brief cup of coffee at Louisville quarterback Luke McCaffrey uh, is transferring to Rice. Uh, so some of you might be confused by that. The, the family history there is that Bloomgren was Christian's offensive coordinator at Stanford. So that's kind of the connection there. Um, and this is um, it's it's huge because even with the limitations that McCaffrey has, he's really kind of an athlete playing quarterback at this stage, I would say, based on the tape of his that I binged over the last week plus. Um, the veins. But just like, I mean, this is a guy who I, I watched him make the wrong read on zone read plays and be, be in a position where he should have been totally bottled up by the like four star athletes that are playing edge for like Penn State and then just beat that guy to the edge and turn the corner against him. I mean, I mean, this is a guy who's very much in the mold of like his most successful brother, but playing quarterback instead. He just has really like elite burst in athleticism. Um, not the type of guy who's going to stand back there and carve up teams in the passing game, but um, that kind of athleticism makes you an outlier, even at most power five programs. And uh when he gets here and is is playing against the USA competition, um, he ha has not been guaranteed the starting job, but I would be real surprised if he's not taking the first snaps when they play Arkansas on, on September 4th, I believe is when they open the season. I mean, he was like scratching at the top 250 when he was in high school. So like having an athlete like that playing for Rice is a huge deal. Yeah, easily, um, if he had been a high school signee to Rice, it would be easily the highest rated recruit in Rice history. Fun fact, the actual holder of that title is Gabe Taylor, who is the much, much, much younger brother of NFL legend and uh, all-pro Sean Taylor. Okay. Uh, he was a current sophomore. Um, he was a like mid three-star recruit because he didn't because he's like five nine and because he didn't play high school football until like his senior year but in that one year he had like 10 interceptions or something <laughs> so uh he'll be in the rotation a little bit for rice this year i love it i love it getting a little <laughs> bit of rice recruiting talking we weren't expecting yeah. that uh, so uh rice 
the Owls return a, a pretty solid tandem in the backfield, which with McCaffrey back there, you expect to see maybe a little bit of continued zone read work. But um, with Jumo, Taviano and uh, Kalen Griffin, they combined for like 500 yards in, in five games, which isn't bad. Uh, so offensively, how's Rice going to take advantage of their skill set? Or do you know how they're going to take advantage of their skill set to hopefully assist or, or kind of take some of the pressure off a, a new quarterback to the to the university? Yeah, I mean, they're both really, really gifted guys, like big-time playmakers. Um, Juma uh, was, I think, a redshirt freshman in 2018, and in the final game of that season had, like, 220 yards against Old Dominion. Um, and just has, like, really elite burst in the in the open field. Um, he's just really had trouble staying healthy since then, so that's going to be the big thing for him. Um, Kalen was a true freshman last year, and had some growing pains, had some some freshman mistakes, had ball security issues at times. But in one of their scrimmages last year, he had like 250 yards against Rice's run defense, which, uh, you know, for you Texas fans, that may not sound like a lot. But over the past two seasons, Rice has had one of the best rushing defenses in the country. Um, so it's it says something that he was able to do that against his own defense. Um, and he seems to have taken a step forward in the spring and is probably going to be the top guy. Um, but if Juma is healthy, they'll have a really nice one-two punch there. Um, and really, it's it'll be very interesting now that because Rice's offensive staff has has not been afraid to to run their quarterbacks a little bit, but definitely with McCaffrey, they're they're likely to use that as a major weapon. And I think they'll they'll be consistently using like zone read, power read, inverted beer, like all, all these sorts of plays to get the quarterback involved in the run game. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams in Conference USA just decide that, you know, they've got this dude, a quarterback, and, you know, he's not that much of a passer, but uh, we're not going to let him beat us running the ball. And so I think you're going to see a lot of them really play it safe and try to try to force the give on those plays. And so it's going to be up to those guys to, you know, to take advantage of the fact that they're going to be facing fewer defenders and and really hit the holes decisively because they, they both have the talent and the speed to make big plays. Um, and so it's going to be up to them and up to the offensive line to, to take advantage of the attention that McCaffrey is going to draw from opposing defenses. And that, I mean, it's a solid strategy to load the box and force him to either hand, give the ball off or, or throw the ball over the top and see if he could beat you. Right. The guy who's known for yeah. his legs. That's, that's the recipe defensively. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, uh, I mean, if I were a defensive coordinator, like that's what I, I would be, I'd put eight in the box. I I'd, I'd force the give. I'd have a guy, I have a guy on the running back too. And I just say like, make this guy throw against us. Um, and all he has to do is hit some, you know, we'll talk about receivers in a little bit, but like all he has to do is get the bare minimum of like hit the open guy. Cause he's going to get so many one-on-one. Like that's how teams play, have played rice anyway with like bloomer coming from the background he has at Stanford and the focus they have on running the ball. Like that's how teams have played them since he got here. And the, the bar, like no rice quarterback since bloomer got here, like this is the level that they've gotten. Like they haven't been above like, 62 percent completion percentage and for as up and down and unpolished as McCaffrey was as a passer in Nebraska he completed like 64 percent of his passes so all he has to do is like hit this bare minimum of like if a guy is running open and Rice has a lot of guys that are either either bigger enough or fast enough to get open against single coverage in CUSA he's just got to hit those guys and that's going to add so much 
for them. Just run, run some slants. Let yeah. him throw it his three yeah. steps yeah. and out. I, they got when when Brad Rosner, who's going to be their top receiver uh, this year, he opted out last year. But in 2019, he was he was a beast. And uh, when they ran him either on like glance route RPOs or they threw fades to him in the end zone, um, he's six five. There are no COSA defensive backs that could, that can like beat him for a jump ball. So. Um, the the matchups will be there and all he's got to do is is hit the hit the basic throws nobody's climbing the ladder in, in the CUSA. good to know no. so <laughs> that's a, that's a good segue so uh last year's leading receiver uh, austin trammell no longer with the team again didn't take advantage of the extra year uh but again gains 2019's leading receiver massive target they also have uh sophomore jake bailey who's coming back who's another dynamic receiving option for there so talk a little bit more about what the what pass catchers rice is going to have and kind of the the uh schematic stuff they're going to try to do to get those guys open in, in this new uh system yeah so um uh, like i said getting jake didn't Brad Rosner back, who is who is six five, not like a burner in the open field, but just like a big, big downfield target who they went to a lot in 2019. Um, Bailey is going to give them a lot of what Trammell did. Um, it, I would almost say in a he's a bit of a more athletic package. He certainly was a, he was a, a more a higher rated recruit, like a mid three star, which is a, a very high level signing for Rice uh, out of St. John Bosco, a big time program in Southern California, but. Um, Bailey is just a guy who they'll go to a ton. Like I wouldn't, I would be surprised if he doesn't lead the team in receptions. Um, he'll work out of the slot. He'll get open underneath. He's just a guy who's going to be open. Who's going to move the chains, occasionally break a big play when he gets, when he gets loose with the ball in his hands. Um, so he's though that's their top two. And those are guys they can really rely on. Um, August Pete is probably your third starter. Um, He's a guy who's battled some injuries and inconsistency, but um, is a little on the taller side, can really go up and get a jump ball, like a, a, a rebounding type, if you will, um, and had a really good spring to kind of solidify himself in that role. Um, they'll hopefully go a little deeper this year. They have three guys that can probably work into the rotation. Um, it's Andrew Mason, um, who was a recruit out of Tennessee, who once scored like eight touchdowns in a high school game. Uh, and Trey Patterson, who's a transfer from New Mexico, and Zane Knight, who's like a track guy from here in Houston. And all three of those guys are really like hardcore speed guys. Like um, Knight is the only well, Mason got a little bit of playing time last year. Knight they got on some like some like jet sweeps and stuff, and is the sort of guy where you watch him and you're like, Rice isn't supposed to assign a guy who can run like that. And <laughs> It, he, he's the sort of guy that they'll get on like gadget plays and everything. I would suspect you'll see a little more of Mason and or Patterson in like true wide receiver type roles, but it would be, it would help them a ton if, if one of those guys can carve out a consistent role as like a rotational guy who can really stretch defenses with the speed because they all really do have that like burning in game speed relative to what, to what their competition is going to be like. Um, they'll rely on the tight ends a lot. Uh, they've got Jordan Myers who, uh, actually practiced at running back all spring. He was their short yardage back last year. Um, and so he'll move back and forth a little bit because they're not super deep at running back. And like, especially if, if Juma is injured, let's say they might turn to him a little more there, but he's a guy that all the, like, he's not a big play guy and he's, he's pretty small for a tight end. He's like six two, like two ten. Um, but he's just a guy that the staff trusts and they'll, they'll give him the ball a ton in, in underneath stuff. Um, like, 
you know, if they're running like split zone action and they'll work like zone reads off that. And a lot of teams will like, they'll bring the, the H backer tight end on that slice block in split zone and then they'll slip him and just throw a little short thing to him. Um, Myers led the team in receptions last year. And I swear half of them were that play where just slipping the slice block on, on split zone. And so he'll, he'll fa- factor in a lot. They also have Jack Bradley, who's like a six, five two sixty, like big NFL tight end size who can, who's a true, like, like catch and block type tight end. They also have a freshman Nate camper uh, who's like a taller and skinnier, more of a receiving type, but can be more of a downfield threat was pretty good in the spring. So they've got a lot of options at receiver. Um, they've got, two guys in in Bailey and Rosner that are really, really proven and then a reliable tight end in in Myers that they'll trust. Um, they just need a couple of those guys to step up. Um, and schematically, it's it's so they'll go a little more like spread, like four and five wide stuff this year. Um, the new offensive coordinator is Marcus Tuisopo um, of late 90s Washington fame, um, who once had like 330 passing yards and <laughs> 250 rushing yards in a game um okay and he's been uh in like coaching qbs and tight ends and like the pass game coordinator at several pac-10 schools over the last couple years um and he he's brought in the spring uh they're doing a bit more so like some like wide open spread type stuff um so i'll be interested to see like the whole idea will be getting these receivers in one-on-ones kind of like i was talking about earlier because um, they will get that regardless from defensive strategy, just because teams I think are going to want to take away McCaffrey, but also you can do, I suspect they'll do a little more stuff where they spread the defense out intentionally, because now you can do some things where just by nature of the formation, the defense can only have five or six guys in the box. And when you do that, and then you take away someone else by optioning a defender and you have a guy that athletic at quarterback, it that should open some things up. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to have any real fancy passing concepts. Um, McCaffrey is not that type of guy. Um, but they should be able to do some, like, like just by nature of the athleticism that he has and the attention that he'll draw and the way teams are going to play them, it should open up some easy opportunities. And, again, like, as long as he's able to hit the basic stuff, they – they should be able to, to really raise their level offensively from what it's been. Again, just hit the open man and make yep. things. That, it's really that simple sometimes. <laughs> uh, we, we overcomplicate football so much. So you, yep. mentioned, you mentioned the Rice defense. Um, the Owls lose not only an all-conference player, but like an all-name and all-hair player. Like he's got oh, he's yeah. a triple threat in Blaze Aldridge. But really the rest of that defense is coming back when you look at um, kind of key contributors from a year ago. So who one, what advantage does that have as they kind of try to figure out what the offense is going to be and two, like who's going to step in and step up and kind of fill Aldridge's role as a kind of, not just a, a production guy, but he was a leader on the team as well. So like who's, who can step in to, to kind of help fill that gap? Yeah. I mean, like I said, so so Brian Smith is the defensive coordinator. Um, he comes from he was the secondary coach at Michigan beforehand. He's so he's a Don Brown guy and he runs that runs that system at Rice, which I'll be, I got to be honest, I thought was going to be a disaster. And it looked like it the first year when they probably gave up five deep TDs over the top every single game, because I was like, how are you going to get how are you going to play that much man? Like 
for those of you that have not watched a lick of rice that are listening to this, think about when Ohio State played Michigan in 2018, and it was just Dwayne Haskins running mesh and throwing crossers underneath against Michigan's defense the entire game, and Ohio State's receivers just kept running to the end zone the entire time. When you run this system and you don't have athletes in the secondary that can play man coverage, it's a disaster. And I don't know, part of it has been really, really sharp and targeted recruiting, um, but some of it is like uh, the level this defense has played at over the last couple of years has really been stunning to me. Um, but yeah, they bring pretty much everyone back. Um, there's no one player that's going to replace Blaze in terms of the production that he gave. Like last year with the, the inconsistencies, like the numbers weren't as impressive, but in 2019, he had like 21 and a half tackles for loss. It was insane. Um, and they lined him up outside and would get him rushing the passer. And so he, he did all sorts of different things. It was really like the, the beating heart of the defense. Um, the linebacker position itself is going to be fine. Um, they have Antonio Montero, who's now going to be a four-year starter at Mike. Um, they have uh, Myron Morrison, who's been in the program a couple of years, is probably going to be the starter at Will. They brought in a Juco guy, Desmond Baker, uh, who is competing with him. They're, like The coaches feel good about the linebacker position. There's some depth there. Uh, they like all the guys they have. No one that's uh, as disruptive as Blaze Aldridge is. They don't have anyone on defense like that. But um, – that position will be reliable. Um, they're going to need to kind of distribute the playmaking production. Uh, they really need to get more out of their edge rushers than they have in the last couple of years. Um, guys like Kenneth Orgy, um, Kebron Page was a guy who was 2018 or 2019, one of the, the first classes brought in by the staff and had a really, really good spring. And I think they feel pretty good about him breaking out. Um, Trishon Chamberlain, who starts at that Viper position in this defense, which is like, if you remember Jabril Preppers at Michigan, that was that is the, the archetype of that position. Um, it's like a hybrid, like outside linebacker, nickel, sometimes like free safety. Uh, yeah. Pretty pretty much the thing that like Isaiah Simmons did at Clemson is also another good example, except at Rice, we can't get like 6'4", 230-pound guys that are fast enough to play that. So Trishon is, is a little smaller. He's like 5'11", 200 pounds, but... Um, he's great in man coverage. He's great in that deep zone. He hits like a truck. Um, they beat North Texas in, in 2019, uh, because he had a pass breakup in the end zone where he just absolutely leveled a guy, uh, at, in the very end of the fourth quarter, like great player. Um, one that they've relied on a lot. Um, so they've got some guys, uh, DeBraylon Carroll, who, um, for those of you that are into Texas high school football played at Duncanville, which has had some produced some amazing defensive players over the last several years. Um, if DeBraylin were about two inches taller, he would be on a power five roster somewhere. He's, he's like a wrecking ball at three tech. Um, so they've got some guys who can step up and that they need to step up to get some of that, particularly in the front seven to get kind of that, you know, the TFLs, the sacks, like the disruptive plays. Um, but the good thing is that, you know, they've got a proven coordinator. They've got uh, plenty of guys who have played a ton of football and they're guys who got into rice. So they're really damn smart too. And that's, <laughs> that's one of the things that I think makes this scheme work here is that um, they do a ton of things and they're so multiple and they rotate and move guys around so much. And I, I really think it's something that you couldn't get away with 
if you didn't have guys that were as smart as the guys that they get. Like we've we've interviewed on our podcast so many like current and former players. It's a, it's amazing to me how many of them are so. I mean, they're, they're just really smart and they're really fun to talk to. And they're they're so it's they they are such interesting conversationalists. And I, I think it's a testament to the well, to the quality of, pro- of guys that this program has brought in all along, but uh, even, uh, and that's just continued and, and gotten more so under the staff, I think. But um, they do a ton of things. They bring back a ton of experience. Um, even if there is some slight drop off, if they can't quite produce that that havoc production that Blaze Aldridge gave them, um, this is still going to be one of the best defenses in CUSA. And it's it's they should give them more than enough that if the offense can just raise the level a little bit over what it's been the past couple seasons, then they should be uh, a contender in the conference. I would say. Yeah. It seems like, again, the, the defense has never really been the problem. So if they can just, if they can just hold the serve and let the offense catch up and again, figure something out with, with a McCaffrey in the backfield, then, then maybe things will, uh, will work in the right direction. So on that vein, so what's like, what's the storyline that you're watching most closely heading into 2021? What's your, what's got your eye? Um, yeah, I don't know what this answer would have been a week and a half ago, but it's, it's gotta be what they do with McCaffrey. Like how does he, his being on the roster change the outlook this year? Like, you know, like I said, he's, he's kind of an outlier athlete relative to what, most guys that are playing in CUSA are like, how does the coaching staff leverage that? Like I have so many compliments for them in recruiting and how they've done on defense and, and the way they've gotten guys at the skill positions, but they haven't developed well at quarterback and they haven't found a guy who can consistently trigger this offense. And, and they've searched for answers and, and modified scheme things a little bit, but it, it really hasn't panned out at least over a full season level. So You've got this guy who is, you know, not the most polished passer, but just from a talent perspective, like you have to be able to leverage a guy like this into upgrading your offense. And so, you know, how do you turn that into more opportunities for the backs and receivers? How do you, you know, can you get him playing consistently enough to make it take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities? Because that's like, I, you know, I feel like I'm repeating myself a ton, but that's all they need. And especially, you know, relative to the conference, um, probably the best returning quarterback in CUSA this year is Frank Harris at CUSA at, at UTSA, and he played good down the stretch, but he's n- not exactly like a, you know, uh, <laughs> like the, he's not that, a top two fifty guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, you know, they're like. <laughs> Houston shout out Bailey Zappi from Houston Baptist is now at Western Kentucky along with like their entire offense from last year. Um, and he was, he's, he was really good, but you know, you never know what you're going to get from an SEF SES guy moving up from a level. So there's no reason why they can't have this guy immediately be one of the best quarterbacks, if not necessarily, maybe not one of the best passers, but one of the best quarterbacks in CUSA. And the, you know, I guess we, we can, We'll, we'll probably finish up by talking about uh, talking about expectations, but like the gap between teams in this conference is not big. Like, sorry, UTEP, but like one to 13 here, like it doesn't take that much to make up that difference. And so that's, that's kind of a, again, you've been crushing the segues. I appreciate it. So <laughs> that's what I get for sending you the questions beforehand. So if, if you look back 
at the season. We're, we're sitting in December or maybe January, who knows, uh, at the end of the season and you're judging this year as a success. What, what's that measure? What's the hit? What's the thing you got to hit for this to be a successful year? Um, before, so I'm going to keep it pretty low, low-ish for now and uh, say that they should make a bowl. Um, and that may not be so low given that they last made a bowl in 2014, but like that was the goal before 2020. And I think it was an imminently reasonable goal. And I think they would have hit it if they had had a full season of relatively healthy play. Um, that was still the goal for this year, given what they were returning on defense and offense outside of quarterback. Um, I will say I was kind of nervous about them reaching it because it was going to take a step up at quarterback and they were going to have to, you know, play just as well and, and have good injury luck on defense. And so I was, I, that was going to be the goal for me. And I was a little nervous about it because if anything went wrong, it could have been, you know, 2019 all over again, where they were that close, but just couldn't get over the hump. Um, but with McCaffrey here, I, I think the, the goal, like set it at a bowl and see how things go. Um, it may take a while to, to really figure out how to calibrate those expectations. Cause like, I think Arkansas, they, so they start the season with Arkansas. I think Arkansas is going to be well coached enough that you're probably not going to overcome that talent advantage. Um, if things are, are starting out rough for Stark, they, you know, may be able to frustrate y'all a little bit uh, <laughs> in that game, but just, the, I mean, the talent gap is too big there. Um, by the way, this is some of you listening probably don't remember me, but I am also an Alabama fan, Birmingham native. Uh, so uh, the particular note I have on that front is enjoy Keelan Robinson. Cause that guy has got the juice. He is fast. We're very excited about, about Keelan. <laughs> we, are, we are Keelan stands and he's not put on a uniform yet. Officially. Yeah. Um, but so uh, after that, they've got Texas Southern, which should be an easy win. And they've got U of H, which it's hard to know what, what to make of Houston right now. And it's hard to know how to judge these programs relative to each other at the moment. Um, I, I'm, I'm expecting them to win that game as of now, but we'll, that could change. Um, so it might be a full month of the season before we see this team in conference. It is going to be a full month before we see them in conference play, but you know, it'll be a while before we have like an appropriate stick to measure them against. But like, there's a very easy, it's very easy for me to see the path to where you get a month and a half in and you see those performances at a conference and you see them against conference teams and you say, there is no reason this team can't win the conference. Because again, the, the gap in CUSA is not big. Like the, a couple breaks go their way in a couple games last year and Rice is in the conference championship game. Mm -hmm. uh it's it's the gap is so small and if if luke mccaffrey is is you know can really give them the juice as a runner and just hit the easy throws that he's going to have as a passer um they should be minimum top five in the conference on both sides of the ball and yeah so so my expectations are high <laughs> um uh, this is the best i felt about the program in well, yeah, I would say I feel better than I did last year, like post Mike Collins commitment pre COVID. Okay. Uh, so, and, and I was, and I was high on the team then we were uh, like the whole fan base was very high on the team after the way the 2019 season ended. And I think rightfully so. Um, and my expectations were somewhat tempered coming into this summer 
because just because of the uncertainty at quarterback. But with this, like, there's no reason this can't be the best Rice team in in you know since they were winning since the, that 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 12 to 2014 stretch when they were going to bowls and won the conference championship. This team can be easily that good and could even be better. This could be one of the best rice teams in a very, very long time. So um, okay, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with this group right now. I hope. I love it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> so I, I sent you those to prepare for, and I, I intentionally left out a couple of fun questions and you've done this before, but yeah, yeah. we came we came up with a better name than the last time you're on. Kyle came up with a terrible name. And so I, we're called, we're just calling it shooting from the hip is what it All felt right. right. It's, it feels Texas-y. So yeah, we're going, yeah. we're going for it. So uh, first one, and this is a layup for you, but many are aware that rice is university and also food. So what's your favorite way to eat or prepare rice? Um, I would say fried rice. We make okay. a lot of fried rice at home with, with leftovers from takeout and stuff like that. It's good solid. It's pretty easy to go to. makes a lot of food. Okay. I like it. Okay. So you mentioned it already. You are, you are an, also an Alabama supporter, which mm-hmm. understandable. Uh, but what people don't know, and this is the, the connection, uh, Alabama wins a lot of Heisman's John Heisman, the Heisman trophy guy was actually, he made his final head coaching stop at Rice University. Yeah, he, did. Um, he was there in the in the 1920s. And so the question I have for you is, would you be willing to forego, and how many would you be willing to forego Alabama National Championship runs for a player from Rice to win the Heisman? What's what's a number for you that feels like a fair sacrifice there? Um, I mean, I would happily give up. Um, I, like all good and thoughtful Alabama fans, abhor that the university claims the 1941 championship when they went nine and two and finished like 20th in the AP poll. Um, this was like during the 80s when like teams first started going back in the history books and being like, ah, oh, we claim all those. And there was an SID in Alabama who was like, ah, oh, perfect, we could take that one. And didn't think anyone was ever going to make it a big deal. But I I'm, I guarantee you that like 90% of the Alabama claims fake championships memes come from the fact that they claim 41, which is just completely ridiculous. So yeah, yeah, toss that one. And honestly, you could toss most of the like pre-poll era ones. You know, don't at me Frank Thomas stands, but like, <laughs> I don't think anyone like... There's some history with like the Rose Bowl there. So like, I don't know, keep 1925 or something like that. But like you could toss 41 and like, I don't know, 26 and 30 and 34 or something like that. And it wouldn't break my heart. Uh, I I would happily get rid of old ones. If you're saying like, I don't know, forego future ones. I don't know. I would rather, I would, well, I don't know. It's a tough one. I would let's just say I would happily sacrifice some of the very old Alabama championships for a Rice Heisman. Fair, all out. Okay, so one of the one of the biggest travesties of 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 all like I won't say it like that. I'm gonna edit that part out. So <laughs> one of the one of the best parts about playing Rice, at least in my opinion, is the mob, the the marching owl band and mm-hmm. their halftime show. Uh, Texas fans will will remember. I remember at the time being offended by it, but now I'm like, it's hilarious. <laughs> and what the 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 uh, cops themed halftime performance they did at the University of Texas, making fun of some of the legal issues that Texas players were having. So if you were in charge of making this year's Rice mob halftime show, for the Texas game, what would you want them to perform? What would be your theme for it? They always seem to have a good theme. Ooh, that's tough. 
because um, I think the line you might want to you you'd be curious about walking here is um, do you go for the actual um, real biting satire and um, perhaps take Sark to task for immediately bowing to old racist boosters on the eyes of Texas? Because uh, there's a vein of material there, but uh, when the mob has tried to go that serious in the past, the like, it's hard to make those jokes land sometimes. And so uh, you run the risk of it not coming off, uh, of coming off that you're making light of that rather than uh, um, tearing down power for it, shall we say. So um, I think you could go with something like, Ah, Texas has, you know, hired this new coach who is a uh, a highly accomplished ac offensive coordinator who has just won a national championship with a, a storied power. Like, this time it's going to be different. Tom Herman. No, wait. Steve Sarkeesian. So, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a vein to be mined there of what are you doing now and why is it any different than what did not work for you in the past? God, that hurts. That cuts so deep. <laughs> Good night. Oh man, I gotta stop asking smart people to make fun of me. It hurts so much. <laughs> okay, so the last one, and I'll let you go. Uh, the other cool thing about Carter, and and he still to this day is the only Jeopardy champion who has ever been on our podcast at least, <laughs> that that we've known about. So uh, two time actually Jeopardy champion. Oh. I think I don't want to short you of one. So the the big talk is is. Uh, Alex Trebek's replacement, right? We, it's mm -hmm. they, they've been having guest hosts. So, who, as someone who's been behind behind the podium, who do you feel like? Have you been keeping up with it? And if so, like who's your pick? Who's your who's your person? Yeah, I, I tried to catch at least one game from each of the guest hosts thus far. I haven't gotten all of them. Um, I don't watch Jeopardy as much now as I used to beforehand. Part of it is that it's I don't know, there's sort of a sadness for what you can never reclaim, I think, after you've been yeah. on. Uh, and part of it's just that it comes on at 11.30 here in Houston, which is extremely annoying. 11.30 in the morning here in Houston, which is extremely annoying. Um, I would say of the guest hosts that have been on thus far, I would trend to either Ken or Buzzy Cohen, um, both of whom I think just because of their familiarity with the show and with the the environment of high pressure quizzing um, did a really good job. And uh, I, I know a lot of Jeopardy contestants are very, very pro buzzy. And I think part of that is just sort of because he's very much one of us in the way that he's like involved with the, the community in a way that Ken kind of isn't because he got famous before the like online spaces existed where, where contestants get to know each other. Um, I, I am still overall team LeVar Burton. Uh, he has not had his stint yet. And I am a little worried because he's one of the later ones and he's only going to have one week, whereas a lot of these people have had two and Ken had like six. So um, <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm super optimistic that LeVar is going to be the permanent choice by Sony. I, I, I'm skeptical of their decision-making process here perhaps, but... <laughs> Um, if it, if it were me, uh, you know, as long as he's good, which I can't imagine that he won't be, um, you know, if I got to make the pick myself, it would be Lamar Burton for sure. Cause I'm also a big Star Trek guy. So that, that, uh, you know, there's a confluence of interests there. 
as as a fellow team Lavar Burton guy, I mean, it makes it warms again when I when Beautiful. I find myself great energy on, here. Yeah, right. When I find myself on the side of really smart people, I always feel good because I consider myself marginally uh, smart. So, Carter, thank you so much for your time, man. If people want to follow you, whether it's for you got Spider Man takes on your Twitter, you got Jeopardy <laughs> takes, you got Star Trek takes, yeah, yeah. And then obviously you got your football takes as well, man. Where can folks find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at at Jay Carter Spiders. Um, uh, you can follow the roost itself, which is easily the best sort. Like, I don't think the Chronicle even has a rice beat reporter anymore. So, uh, I think the roost was already on top before that, but now it is the place to go to for, for rice sports news and analysis, as we say. And, and I, I, I think it, it, it's, um, Matt who runs the site does an awesome job, like does, does so much. Uh, to get the news and and stuff to to rice fans like he's he's really filling a space that was not there before and i i give him all the credit in the world for that um there's also a separate feed for the podcast that we do which is weekly during football season um it's at the roost pod so um yeah if you if you're interested in my takes you can follow me uh, if you're interested in in rice stuff in general uh follow the site follow the pod and uh yeah Awesome. Well, Carter, thank you again so much for making some time, man. Always a pleasure to have you on uh, and hopefully look forward to seeing you or having a good game this year. Yeah. Yeah. It should be. Um, I'm glad we're getting normal season of college football. So that, that the world is such that we can get a normal season of college football, I should say. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for rice, excited for the season as a whole. I just college football is so much fun in, in, in every facet. So um yeah just excited for it awesome well i am as well thanks again brother yeah and so that's all we've got for you this week thank you so much for joining us you can find me on twitter i'm at gh goodridge follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod facebook and instagram the longhorn republic or shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again and until next time welcome welcome